Canada Conversations is brought to you by Deloitte Canada, helping you navigate the complex challenges your company faces through recovery and enabling you to thrive in the new normal. To learn more, visit Deloitte.ca. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the October 2nd, 2020 episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor here at Automotive News Canada. Well, folks, one down and two to go. That's where Unifor, the union representing auto workers at the Detroit Three, stands as we start this podcast. The union has successfully negotiated and ratified a deal with Ford, setting the pattern for FCA and General Motors. And my guest today has been covering these talks since they started. He's got the details, reaction, and insight into what might still happen over the next few weeks, months, and even years in the wake of these new deals. We'll break down the Ford Pact, talk about what Uniform might want and get from FCA, and discuss how the three-year deal and shorter wage grow-in for employees compare with the United Auto Workers deal in the United States. All that when I speak with Automotive News Canada reporter John Irwin on this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. John, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Greg. So uh, why don't we start by doing this? Why don't you lay out for me in broad strokes what's in the Ford deal and how that establishes the pattern for the other two automakers, FCA and General Motors, moving forward? Uh, Well, of course, there's the uh, pretty significant investments uh, in the Oakville and Windsor plants, about $1.8 billion for the Oakville plant, uh, about $148 million for the uh, Windsor engine plants. Uh, obviously, those are major investments um, that sort of you know give uh, Unifor hope that they can uh, also secure investments from FCA and GM down the line. But the big thing is that uh, the, the agreement uh, includes wage gains and a reduction in the uh, 10-year grow-in period for new hires. Uh, that will set the pattern for uh, the FCA and GM deals down the line. Uh, the, those wages uh, and the wage growing have sort of been contentious among uh, Unifor members. Uh, it's something that Unifor has been uh, looking for some sort of uh, movement on for a while now. And uh, that's something that they're going to be expecting out of FCA and GM. Uh, if you talk to the union, they're confident that they'll get those gains. It wouldn't be an issue, but uh, we'll obviously see what happens. You've been covering the auto industry and labor on both sides of the border for automotive news for years now. You covered the the last Unifor Detroit 3 uh, deal back in 2016. Does anything jump out at you or surprise you in this first deal that has been done and set the pattern? Uh, yeah, one of the uh, most unique things about this uh, is that the um, uh, investment, at least for Oakville, uh, is scheduled to be for after the life of this three-year agreement. If it were a typical four-year agreement, it would come toward the very end of it. But because we're moving to a three-year deal, uh, it leaves Oakville technically without any investment during the life of the contract. Um, uh, granted, the investment that is promised is absolutely massive and gives uh, uh, you know some clarity on what Ford uh, you know, might be doing for Oakville in the long run. But uh, that's something that's pretty unique. I'm not sure that that's something that'll be uh, replicated uh, necessarily at FCA, uh, but that's one of the weirder things that uh, you see with this contract. And it's not something you see every uh, bargaining cycle with either the UAW or Unifor. Um, so that, that'll that be uh, interesting to see how that plays out uh, during 2023 talks. 
You're right. It surprised me as well. Um, you know, it's nothing concrete within the duration of the contract. Have you talked to others who have the same sort of reaction that that's a bit odd or a bit strange? Or is this sort of just taken at uh, Ford at their word and that they're going to, to follow through on it? Because I would assume they could pull the plug at any time. I just wonder what reaction has been from other analysts that you've talked to. Yeah, Ford can certainly, uh, you know, change plans and that sort of thing, and that's always a concern. But uh, as Kristen Dicek, who follows this sort of thing for uh, the Center for Automotive Research in Michigan, she pointed out to me that uh, any time an automaker has uh, promised to invest, you know, this much uh, or any major investment in a plant uh, during either UAW or Unifor negotiations ever since uh, the bankruptcies of GM and Chrysler, um, they've always followed through. Now the plans might change. You know, instead of building vehicle X, they build vehicle Y. Um, you know, the investment dollars might uh, change a little bit. But broadly speaking, you know, they hit those targets. Uh, so that's something that's a, a good precedent for Unifor. But you know, obviously, you know, it would be seven years before um, the EV production gets up to full uh, full capacity there uh, under the current plan. And you know, seven years obviously is a long time. Uh, uh, Ford can obviously change up its EV plans. It can, uh, who knows what we're dealing with in seven years. Uh, you know, there's, it seems like there's always something that comes up. I mean, this year, obviously, we have the pandemic. And that's not something that people see coming. And it forced automakers to sort of make adjustments to their plans. So there's, there's always a risk there. But between the analysts I've spoken to, some of the suppliers, uh, they're all confident that Ford, you know, will follow through on this. Um, uh, but obviously, uh, time will tell. I mean, the second question in all of this is, does Ford really have five vehicles in the pipeline that they're going to produce in Oakville? Because um, Jerry Diaz, head of Unifor, has said that when they are at full production, they will be making five different models in that plant, about 200,000 vehicles a year when they're at full capacity. But does that actually exist in Ford's plans as they stand right now? What are forecasters telling you about that product pipeline? Well, we don't know yet what specifically they'll be building. Um, uh, I know that Jerry Dias has told me that, you know, one of those products will be a crossover and they're talking about two door and four door vehicles, but that's still pretty broad. I've, I've talked to some suppliers who, you know, they still don't necessarily know either just because it's so far out, you know, bidding might not have necessarily started on that sort of thing yet. But, um, you know, Ford has said in the past that they're uh, investing about 11 billion U.S. in electrified and EV vehicles. Um, and about 16 of those uh, are for, you know, pure electric vehicles. Um, we only know a few of those so far, uh, like Ford Mach-E, uh, the F-150 electric pickup that's coming out, um, uh, the Transit EV cargo van. Uh, so we have uh, we have an idea of just a few of those so far. Um, so there is more coming uh, if Ford, you know, is following through on what it said it'll do. But, you know, we still don't know what those will be. And uh, we should know more in the coming, you know, months, years, but uh, as of right now, it's still kind of up in the air what, what those five vehicles actually would be. The, the flagship vehicle built in Oakville is the edge. And we've been told by sources that production will eventually end um, sometime uh, 2023. Has Ford given you a date yet as to when, production of the edge will end yeah if you uh ford is uh, according to a letter that ford um sent to unifor kind of laying out their 
uh, investment plans that was included in a uh, highlight sheet for uniform members to look at. Um, Ford says they'll uh, continue with the all-wheel drive version of the Edge. That production of that will continue until uh, through the life of the agreement, which ends in September of 2023. Uh, the front-wheel drive Edge, uh, that'll be phased out earlier in the year in the second quarter, along with uh, the Lincoln Nautilus. Um, but it'll be in 2023. Uh, the edge production will end. And then at that point in 2024, uh, Ford says it's going to go in uh, with its retooling of the plant to uh, allow for EV production. Uh, but 2023 looks like the target date for uh, the edge to be phased out right now. So that leads me to this question. We saw a similar scenario play out in Oshawa, where through the duration of the contract that is that expired uh, this Labor Day, um, they were going to build uh, outgoing models of GM pickup trucks. And that ended in December. Um, there was no promise of new product after that. Um, we're in a similar, though not the same situation. What does your gut tell you? Is this Oshawa 2.0? Or is this really a done deal that Oakville has a sustained life ahead of it? It's obviously time will tell, uh, but I like you had said, it, it, it does seem to be different in many respects. I mean, this is a much larger investment and for um, uh, that extends you know beyond just a few years. I mean, you, know, you talked with a lot of analysts four years ago and, you know, while some, you know, said that this is a, that investment in Oshawa was, you know, a potential lifesaver for that plant. There were others that said, you know, this just looks like a band-aid. They're just doing final assembly on pickups shipped from the U.S. Uh, and it's an outgoing pickup. You know, they have the redesigned Silverado coming out as they're doing final assembly. Um, so that there is a difference there. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens, of course. You know, like, like I said, there's always a risk of plans changing. But, uh, you know, even when you look at the uh, wording of the letter uh, that Ford sent to uh, to the, the union, kind of laying out its plans. It, you don't see a lot of the as much of the um, the language that GM used with its Oshawa plans, or you know, a lot of times when you look at these plants that are uh, you know slated for potential closure, you'll see language like "we'll invest," you know, contingent on market conditions and that sort of thing. There's not too much of that language in, in Ford's letter. Um, so it does seem different in uh, all those respects, but you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, the, you know, it, all these investments are still years out uh, and there is always the risk of changes, but um, you know, an investment this large certainly is um, a promise like that doesn't come around every day. So uh, if you're looking for a reason for hope for Oakville, uh, you certainly have it with an investment this large. We'll hear more from John Irwin after this short break. The COVID-19 pandemic has had an unprecedented impact on the world's population and economy. Social distancing and self-isolation measures have taken consumers out of the auto retail market, while concern over worker safety continues in manufacturing facilities globally. An increasingly distressed supply base is facing the potential for large-scale liquidity issues, which may lead to increased M&A activity throughout the ecosystem. Significant uncertainty remains around the permanence of current consumer behaviors and the extent to which they will be able to re-engage with the sector. Through Deloitte's State of the Consumer Tracker series, we discuss timely data and trends and highlight key consumer insights. We also explore how behavioral preferences take shape over time to allow businesses to make strategic decisions in this dynamic market environment. The ongoing survey results are also available via an interactive dashboard. 
the Deloitte Global State of the Consumer Tracker. Check in every two weeks to explore new consumer insights and emergent trends. Welcome back to the show where I'm discussing contract talks between Unifor and Detroit 3 with Automotive News Canada reporter John Irwin. It's certainly um, an eye-catching and eye-popping headline. There's no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unifor seems to have gotten what it wanted from Ford to establish a pattern to move on to now FCA. Uh, Talks started this week. Um, What does Unifor want from FCA sort of generally speaking first, and then we'll talk about uh, each plant, Brampton and, and Windsor. But what, what is Unifor after in its deal with FCA? Basically the same thing it was after with Ford. Uh, more product for uh, each of the assembly plants, and then uh, you know the same wage gains, uh, the same benefits uh, gains, and that sort of thing that uh, they achieved with Ford. Uh, so basically more of the same. And realistically... What can they expect product-wise in Windsor, for example? Look, I know that FCA, or no automaker for that matter, talks about future product, but what have you heard? Is there something there they can realistically expect to be given to them to build on that third shift, which ended earlier this year? Uh, The crossover might be their best bet there, uh, built on the minivan uh, platform. I was talking with uh, Sam Fiorani from Auto Forecast Solutions, um, uh, they they were the ones uh, that kind of sounded the alarm on Oakville and the end of Edge production. They're usually you know pretty spot on with uh, products, future products, and that sort of thing. Uh, and he said that they've been calling you know for years for some sort of uh, you know, crossover built on the minivan platform to be built there. Um, obviously, uh, you know, FCA has an incentive to wait until Unifor talks to actually move ahead with that, but. Um, that could be uh, something that would be in the works there. Um, you know, some sort of, especially with the Dodge Durango, uh, expected to be phased out in the coming years. Uh, that'll leave FCA, which is already has fewer crossovers and that sort of thing than a lot of its competitors. Uh, that'll give, you know, a new uh, crossover to add to its lineup. Uh, that hopefully will, uh, from their perspective, you know, uh, get some market share for them in a booming segment. So, uh, you know, that that's probably their best hope at this point. Um, if they do get Durango-like volume, that could, in theory, um, uh, call for uh, you know the third shift to be brought back. But it'll all depend on volume uh, and what exactly they would want to build, if FCA even wants to build that vehicle. So uh, we should know more in the coming weeks. Yeah, and we should break that down for the audience. Uh, you have to remember, most of FCA's crossovers and SUVs, they're Jeep. Um, the Durango going away, the Journey going away. Uh, Chrysler badge has nothing in the SUV segment. It has the minivan and that's it. So it, it sorely lacks uh, an SUV or a CUV under the Dodge and FCA brand. So um, I think that is what would come to Windsor if it gets anything at all. And that's what they're after. What are they after in Brampton where they build highly profitable sort of niche Muscle cars, for the most part, although they still make the 300 sedan. What are they looking for in Brampton? It looks like they're mainly looking for some sort of you know, clarity on the long-term vision for Brampton. Uh, you know, like you said, they build you know very profitable vehicles, uh, and there's no indication that FCA is looking to end production of those anytime soon. Uh, the forecasters say that uh, they're expected to just keep building them for another 
you know, five, six, seven years even, uh, despite the fact that they're, you know, on aging platforms, they haven't been redesigned in forever, that sort of thing. But they make a lot of money. And, uh, so, but the question is just what comes after that? You know, like I said, they're on very old platforms that FCA is moving away from. Uh, you know, what does what does that mean for Brampton long term? There's always been sort of this cloud hanging over Brampton for years, even dating back uh, to the contract talks in 2016. You know, what is the plan here um, long term? So I think they're looking for clarity there more than anything um, because, yeah, their jobs might be safe for uh, maybe the life of this contract, but, you know, another contract cycle or two, uh, that might not be the case. So it's mostly about clarity at this point. Um, we'll see if they get any, um, but uh, that's what they're looking for. Now I get to ask you the question I hate being asked. How quickly will we see an FCA deal? Will we see one done or are we going to see a strike? How do you see this playing out over the next few days or a few weeks? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I wish I had a crystal ball, but I think if you, uh, Unifor and FCA have been talking uh, you know, for months, uh, especially about Windsor, uh, even dating back all the way to last year, uh, Unifor and FCA have been talking about that third shift um, ever since the announcement came down. So really they've been bargaining for, uh, in a sense at least, you know, for more than a year, uh, which if, if you think that that's probably a good sign that, you know, they, they're pretty far along, uh, you know, they, they don't have to get caught up on, you know, what their priorities are and that sort of thing. Uh, but it'll basically just come down to uh, what FCA has planned for Windsor. Um, there is, like I mentioned, a potential solution there, but uh, whether that's something FCA will uh, go with or whether that's something Unifor thinks is enough to secure those jobs, um, uh, that'll be the question. But uh, I think as of now, uh, I, I wouldn't put money on a strike per se, but um, it's always on the table. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. You mentioned it early on in the conversation. Uh, this is a three-year deal. Um, that is to sort of get on the same page or the same schedule as the United Auto Workers in the United States. Um, will this three-year deal make a difference um, the way Jerry wants it to make a difference in a sense that um, he now believes they're on equal uh, footing and that they have a better shot at investment when they're bargaining roughly at the same time, at least in the same year, as the UAW. Um, will this three-year deal make a difference? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, he mentioned uh, the other day when announcing uh, the the Ford plan and the Ford deal of uh, the. Uh, you know, he saw it as an opportunity to potentially work with the UAW. Um, you know, sort of combine their efforts. Uh, uh, come 2023, which is really interesting to think about, um, you know, what, how that might play out if the UAW and Unifor are sort of on the same page as far as securing investments go. Um, it does help in the sense that uh, Unifor won't be getting essentially just what's left over from the UAW uh, contract talks, which, uh, you know, like this year's a perfect example where, you know, there's not, there wasn't necessarily a lot for Unifor to, you know, hope for in terms of, uh, well, you need plan for this product, why don't you move it here? Yeah, most of that was already allocated during UAW talks. Uh, but on the other hand, there's always the risk that uh, there could be some sort of whipsawing going on. You know, an automaker could go to uh, UAW and say, hey, Unifor's willing to give us this. What are you willing to give us? And then just go back and forth and make, you know, essentially from the union's perspective, you know, make it a race to the bottom, sort of pitting the two unions against each other. 
so that that was my initial that was my initial uh, concern or thought about this is that you've pitted two unions against each other and now they're essentially a bidding process in which the lowest bidder wins. Yeah, that that's certainly the risk. Um, I guess you know it's so unprecedented uh, to you know have this happen. Obviously, so you know we'll have to see you know how the UAW how Unifor approach this. You know if if they do choose to work together as um, as Jerry has mentioned. And what does that look like? How do they prevent that from happening? Can they even prevent that from happening? Uh, you know, both unions, obviously, their first commitment is to their members and to getting investment for their plants. Uh, uh, so how do they work, you know, hand in hand, knowing that? Uh, that'll be really interesting to see how that plays out in a few years. Uh, the grow-in period. Um, so the amount of time it takes to get to the top wage is now down to eight years, down from 10 years. Uh, how does that compare uh, to the U.S., um, is it the same, similar? Do automakers like or dislike the length of that term? I, I just wonder, uh, comparison for comparison's sake, since they're on the same page now, um, is that what they were looking for? Yeah, they were certainly looking for, uh, you know, some sort of uh, reduction there from the union's perspective. The um, it's sort of the wage growing period was essentially Unifor's answer to the two tier wage system that was set up in the United States. Um, uh, in the wake of the bankruptcies of GM and Chrysler, uh, it basically the two tier was a, the non-starter uh, for the CAW at the time, um, and essentially they, they did agree to this ten-year growing period, where eventually, after you know a decade, a new hire will get up to the full um, uh, full wages, which wasn't necessarily the case with the two tier system. The UAW in uh, 2019 uh, made some uh, really significant gains in. Uh, I guess winnowing down that two tier system. So Unifor was probably looking for something similar where hey, you, uh, you know, you made these uh, gains possible with the UAW. We need something similar here, uh, which probably led to the reduction. It's still longer to be clear than what it was pre, um, uh, you know, before the, the bankruptcies, um, when it was about three years to uh, get the full wages. So uh, we're still in a different timeline than before that, but, uh, it is a, a bit of a gain, and that, especially for Oakville, where there are a lot of younger workers. I think that was uh, important to see. You know, in 2016, the continuation of the 10-year wage growing period was a major concern there. A majority of Oakville workers voted against uh, the, the deal in 2016. I think the investment was obviously a major uh, factor in uh, such wide support there this year, uh, but also the wage growing period being cut down. I think Unifor really needed that, and uh, they were able to get something there. John, one down, two to go. You're doing great work. Keep it up. I appreciate you for uh, joining me on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Greg. We reached John at his home office. You can read all his work on our website, automotivenews.ca, and in the pages of our monthly print edition. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous shows on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and on our website. That does it for this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.